Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for a star, for a stable, for shepherds, but most of all for our Savior. We thank you for the gift, Lord, for your indescribable gift, and I pray, Lord, you would help me to describe the indescribable this morning for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In fine retail establishments like Bucky's and other service stations, you may find one of those annuals that describes different years and what happened in those years. Have you seen those books? My mother gave me the 1962 uh, edition of that to tell me what was happening in the world the year that I was born. It talks about the politics and the popular culture and the songs and the movies and It's a helpful insight into the world the way it was when I was born. Thinking about that this week, I wondered when they do the 2009 edition, if someday uh, one of the children who is dedicated to the Lord today uh, gets to look at one of those books, what will it say? What will we remember about the year 2009? Will we remember war going on in Iraq and uh, Afghanistan? Will there be some reference to um, a song by a group called Owl City called Fireflies? Will they make any mention of the movie Blindside? Will they tell the story of a young man whose life was redeemed by a loving family? It's interesting to ponder. In fact, um, I remember just a few years ago, my brother... Um, and his wife had their first child. It was a warm September afternoon, and, and I remember uh, meaning to call and check on him, but the day got busy, and I thought, well, I'll just do it the next day. And, and so I, I planned to call him the next morning, but the next morning everything broke loose in New York with, with planes hitting towers and buildings coming crashing to the ground and great plumes of ash and smoke and dust chasing people running for their lives. And the day was nearly gone when I finally contacted my brother by phone and said, is Francis okay? Is, is Andrew okay? And he said, Duane, what kind of world have we brought our son into? It was a, a poignant question, a moment of grief for him, this collision of the great joy of a newborn son and a world that was spinning out of control. You couldn't blame the Heavenly Father if 2,000 years ago when his son made his splashdown from eternity when God's only son was born, if the Heavenly Father might have wondered, what kind of world have I sent my son into, but then he knew what kind of world it was. In fact, it was because the world was the way it was and is the way it is that God had to send his son into the world. And the good news is that his son came not just to be a part of the world, but to change it, to reconcile a world run amok to the heart of the Heavenly Father who sent His only Son. Would you open your Bibles with me this morning to Colossians? We've been doing Christmas in Colossians. We've been taking a long look at Jesus. And it is well that we have. I hope that this portrait of Christ is 
permanently imprinted on our hearts and our minds so that we'll remember who he is and understand what it means to be a follower of Christ. Would you stand with me as we read God's word? Colossians chapter 1 in verse 15. Paul writes these powerful words about Jesus. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Peace on earth. We'll talk about Christmas hope on Christmas Eve at at 4.30 and 6. But hear the word of the Lord. Colossians 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him... All things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by Him and for Him. He's before all things, and in Him all things hold together. That's where we left off last week. And He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile to Himself All things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel... This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Thank you. You may be seated. Did you ever wonder about the music they sang in the church in the first century? What was it like? What was the instrumentation like? How did they sing? How many songs did they sing? How long were those songs? Well, we don't know a whole lot about it. We have Paul saying in this same book that we are to speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And in these verses, he's doing exactly that. The best scholars I know of uh, say that this passage, along with Philippians chapter 2, are hymns that were sung by the early church, hymns of praise to the Lord Jesus Christ that tell us about Jesus, that tell us uh, in answer to the question, was Jesus God? Was Jesus man? Yes, he was God and he was man, perfectly God and perfectly man. So no wonder he's the only one who was qualified to bring humankind into relationship with God because he understood both so well. He could bring us together. Ultimately, this passage is about peace. It's about reconciliation. It's about finding ourselves in right relationship with God. And in fact, this is why Christ came This is the meaning of Christmas. And so in this passage, Paul points beyond just the incarnation and shows us even the crucifixion. And thankfully, he doesn't stop there. He moves all the way to the resurrection to remind us that God would stop at nothing to bring peace into this world and to reconcile this world to himself. As soon as I say that, you may wonder aloud with me, Where exactly is that peace? His birth promised peace, but it was his death that procured the peace 
Unfortunately, the world as we know it today is not at peace. There are, there are battles around the world, and if that were not enough, there are battles in our cities and battles in our homes and battles in our own hearts. The reality of peace is far from us. In fact, somebody has said that um, Jesus Christ came to bring peace at Christmas, but we make this six weeks a time when it's almost impossible to have peace But in this world of chaos and war and strife, Jesus Christ came to bring peace. It's easy for us, like the poet Longfellow, to say, but in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. But in truth, Jesus and His love have the will to win. He intends to prevail. And so we learn about His peace. And what we learn is that peace starts within. That the peace that Christ procured and purchased at such a high price on the cross is a peace that starts within. And until you and I are at peace with God, we can never be at peace with others. And our world will never be at peace until it comes to the peace that Christ came to bring. In fact, what he teaches us is that to get peace in our lives, we have first to recognize the war in our own souls. It's easy to protest at this point and say, I I don't have a war in my soul. They they say that uh, um, Henry David Thoreau was asked on his deathbed, have you made your peace with God? And he said, "Um, I wasn't aware that God and I had quarreled. (laughs) I didn't know that we had any fight, but the reality for Thoreau and For us as well is what he describes in this passage when he says once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Verse 21. Imagine yourself in that great mall of the Americas up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. When I was on my sabbatical, I ate lunch there one day. I just went in, sat down in a restaurant and ate. And I looked around this massive mall and realized if I spent the whole day, I couldn't get into every store. Somebody said you could spend the whole week. I don't know about that. How do you find your way around in a mall like that? Well, thankfully, they do have those maps. And on those maps, there's that little red star. And what does it say? You are here. It's good to know where you are, isn't it? And Paul has told us all about who Jesus is. And then in verse 21, he says, you were here. This is where you were. Alienated, isolated, ostracized, estranged from God. You were far from God's plan for your life. And it wasn't anybody else's fault. It wasn't Adam and Eve's fault. It wasn't your parents' fault. It wasn't society's fault. You were alienated. Distance from God. Why? Because because in your minds, you were enemies of God. Sin begins within. It begins with our thoughts. Isn't that what Jesus was saying in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 when he said, you've heard that it said don't murder, but but I say to you, you, if you're angry at people, if you call them a fool or an empty head, that is tantamount to murder. You have... You have virtually murdered that person by the anger that you harbor in your hearts. Has there ever been more rage in the history of our country? There's road rage and there's uh, airport rage. God bless you if you're traveling this week. There's, there is a rage on the computer. There's rage. And it's just, isn't it just sort of right 
right beneath the surface. So one little thing triggers it, the the straw that breaks the camel's back, and then all this rage just sort of pours out, and people have tried to understand what that's about. One person wrote a book called Why Are We All So Cranky? I like the title. I think it describes our world, that there's a sort of resident crankiness, an incivility toward other people, a a sense in which we're impatient with each other, and, and people are not so much those for whom Christ died, but they're rather obstacles in our way to keep us from getting what we want when we want it. That's what Paul is talking about. Enemies. The word is haters. In Ephesians chapter 2, he uses the word hostile. You're hostile to God in your minds. And uh, Proverbs chapter 23, verse 17 says, As a person thinks, so is he. So if I think anger, Jesus says, that, that is the seed which can lead to murder. In the same way, Jesus said, sin begins in the mind. So we would say, well, it's wrong to commit adultery. Moses said, thou shalt not commit adultery. This needs uh, somehow to be printed on the hearts of people in our culture. No less than country and western singers and late night talk show hosts and famous athletes in this year. And we, we hear these stories and we say, what were they thinking? Well, that's precisely it. Because it started with a thought. And the thought became what he describes there in verse 21 as an evil action. And there's no sense, as as we read in Romans chapter 2, there's no sense looking around the world and saying, wow, those people are really in a mess. Paul says, the minute you condemn them with your own pride, you have revealed the truth of who you are. It's in this little book that I want us to read together as a congregation in preparation for our revival in uh, February and in this little book called The Prodigal God. Tim Keller says, we have churches that are filled with elder brothers in the prodigal son story. That is, elder brothers who've never done the things that the uh, younger son did, but really resent the fact that they haven't. Or maybe in some ways are angry that their father doesn't understand and appreciate, and they're even trying to control their father by not entering into the party. They don't have a relationship with the father, not because they've done what the younger son did, but because they're somehow keeping score of their own good deeds. You'll have to judge in your own heart whether that's true of you. But I think there is truth in that, that we live in this world where in our own minds we are at odds with God and it leads to behavior that is at odds with God. And God wants to deliver us from that, from the war in our souls. So, so you are here, verse 21, or at least he says you were here. But now, he says, this is the good news, but now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body. That is to say, God wants to reconcile us to himself. He wants to make peace, it says, with us. And this peace is a a reconciliation that involves a change. In fact, the very root of that word reconciled is a word for change. It's not that God changes. It's that God changes us. It's not that God has to be reconciled to us. Far from it. God is never going to be reconciled to the sinful world. But he sent his son so that the sinful world might be changed and reconciled to him. And the good news is this reconciliation is is comprehensive as he describes it. He wants to reconcile, verse 20, all things to himself. Things on earth, things in heaven. It would be inclusive, wouldn't it? It would include people like us who are at odds with God. God wants to reconcile. Isn't this good news? He wants to bring us back to himself. And if he's going to reconcile all things, that must mean that nobody is beyond his reach. 
I read this week um, about uh, two of those Iraqi insurgents who had been trying to to harm Americans who were there, and the Americans had uh, prevailed in a firefight with them. But these Iraqis were taken to the American triage unit, and one of them was going to die if he didn't receive 30 pints of blood. And they sent out the call, and American soldiers lined up to give blood to this Iraqi insurgent. One young man, Brian Sum, was asked by um, an interviewer, a reporter, Don't you know that he's an insurgent? Yes, I do. Then why would you be willing to give your blood to save his life? And he said, because a human life is a human life. And his life needs to be saved. Whatever we think about those with whom we disagree, those who have struggles, those who have problems, those who have offended us, the truth is they are not beyond the reach of God. You're never out of his love, never out of his care, no matter how far you've gone. He is always there. He wants to bring us back to Himself. And this this comprehensive reconciliation is very costly. Do you see it in verse 20? It cost the blood of the cross. Why am I talking about this at Christmas time? Why would anybody talk about the blood shed at Christmas time? Well, Christmas without the cross leaves us empty. Without the cross, without the fulfillment of God's plan in Jesus' life, a baby born in a manger has to live a sinless life and die on a cross and rise again to save the world. And Jesus was willing to pay that price. As it goes on to say in verse 22, his physical body died. Jesus was a real person who died a real death, who felt real pain on the cross. And if we wonder why he paid such a high price... We only need to understand the great love of God for sinners like us. This is good news for people like us. This is really good news. Beth Moore has written in a a little book about uh, a television show, 2020 or something like it, where uh, there was a family featured. And uh, they had a son, and the son was killed in a car accident. He was killed in the car accident. He was riding with his best friend. His best friend was intoxicated. And the the best friend survived, but their son died. And the story made the news because this family forgave the young man who was driving. In fact, they not only forgave the driver, but they brought the driver into their home. And they fed him at their table. And he actually inhabited the room where their son had lived. And he went on a seminar tour with the father against drunk driving and told the story. And, and they embraced this son. And Beth Moore said, I was listening to this story trying to figure out, I don't get it, she said. I don't get what the parents get out of this story. I don't get, they're not going to get their son back. I don't understand why they are doing this. And as she was trying to figure it out, she felt like the Holy Spirit just spoke to her heart and said, you're, you're trying to see it from the wrong perspective. You're not the parent in this story. You're the driver. You're the one who was driving the car. And God, God lost His only Son on the cross. And then He brought you into His family and brought you to His table and provided for you and loved you. And this is the story of the Gospel that our salvation is, is costly, but it's available to us in Christ. And that this baby that was born gave His very life so that we might know Him and have relationship with the heavenly father in fact this salvation is complete in christ so as he describes it he wants to present us to the father holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation i wonder if you've ever personalized this story did you see the story in the news about the second grader in another city 
who was asked by his teacher to draw a picture that reminded him of Christmas. And he drew a picture of a man on a cross. And the teacher sent him home and asked for a psychological evaluation. She couldn't understand why a little boy would draw a picture of a man on a cross, a man who had died on a cross, at Christmas time. Well, it caused a furor, as you can understand, and I don't know the whole story, but just listening to it, it occurred to me, the boy didn't mix up his holidays. In fact, it is the cross that makes sense of the manger. It is the cross which helps us to understand what God was doing by becoming a human being. He was inviting us to relationships that He might reconcile us, that He might change us, that He might buy us back and bring us into relationship with Himself. And our lives are not complete until we have received and believed that truth, until we continue, as He says, in that gospel, in that story of good news, so that we can experience what He describes there. Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. And if Jesus is the firstborn, then He intended to bring all the other ones who have died to life again, to live with him there is promise here this is the promise of Christmas which leads to Easter the good news that Christ who died also rose from the dead just a few weeks ago I mentioned the shroud of Turin to you that shroud that they believed for some time was the burial cloth of Jesus did you see this week archaeologists found another shroud in old Jerusalem They believe it was from the same time period in which Jesus lived, between 0 A.D. and 50 A.D., this picture of of a shroud. And the man who was in that shroud, they said, had died of tuberculosis and leprosy, and he had a a beard, and part of his beard remained in the shroud. And they were comparing it to the Shroud of Turin and saying, well, the Shroud of Turin is is probably not authentic to that time. And and, uh, I was interested because this young lady named Shannon Bell wrote about that and she said well it really doesn't matter does it because until the end of time people will debate whether or not Jesus existed I don't really think there's a whole lot of debate about whether Jesus existed but she went on to say of course Jesus will always be controversial well that's true and she said it doesn't matter whether a man died of leprosy or tuberculosis or was kicked in the head the truth is Jesus will always be controversial well he is controversial for some and when I read that I just I thought about the fact it really It really doesn't matter about the shroud, does it? Whether Jesus was in the shroud of Turin, it really doesn't matter. And the reason it doesn't matter is because of what the angels said when they said, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. In fact, Yaroslav Pelikan has written a book uh, that sort of embodies the creeds of Christianity, the confessions of faith. You understand that Judaism has the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God. And, and other religions have these sort of succinct. But if you ask the question, who do people say Jesus is? Well, there over the period of 2,000 years, there have been thousands of answers to that. But Pelicum was most moved by a Maasai creed from Africa. And this, uh, they sort of Africanized the story of Jesus. They said Jesus was always on safari doing good. And then they told about how Jesus' hands and feet were nailed to the cross and how he was buried. And it says, but the hyenas did not touch him. I want you to meditate on that this week. The hyenas, whatever the people intended with the death of Jesus, nobody touched him. And on the third day, this creed says he arose and he ascended into heaven. And this is our hope. This is the hope for our world. This is the promise of peace procured at the high price of the blood of Jesus Christ and guaranteed by His resurrection so that someday, 
Someday when we talk to the children who were born in 2009, we can say to them, you were here. (laughs) And so was God. Emmanuel. God was with us. He was with us all the time. The one who died, who was buried, who rose again, came that we might be reconciled to God. And Paul in his letter to the Corinthians says, I plead with you, be reconciled to God. Because the price Christ paid was too high for us to ignore the peace which He provides through Christ our Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You for the promise of peace. We thank You for the prophets who predicted peace, that the Prince of Peace would be born. We thank You for the angels who announced that peace. But today, Lord, I pray for us that we would receive that peace that comes through Christ alone. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.